I'm Robert Ross, and welcome to this interview with the legendary Jess Conrad, which was recorded at the Leicester Square Theatre in October 2016. Jess is currently wowing viewers in the hit ITV series Last Laugh in Vegas. I urge you to watch it, and please do enjoy the interview. Everyone's a fruit and a nut. Please welcome to the stage pioneer British rock and roller and ageless icon of the screen, Mr. Jess Conrad OBE. Yeah, this, is, this is fantastic. This really is fantastic. I haven't changed at all, have I? <laughs> Except I'm a bit silver foxed up, like a lot of you guys. I've got 50 shades of grey down here. Look. I wish. Yes. Um, Sir, take a seat. You were laughing, weren't you, at some of my, those scenes there. I must say, I wasn't a threat on Laurence Olivier. But let's face it, I did look good. <laughs> So Jess, uh, talking about Halloween and Conga, can you remember making that film with the great Michael Goff? Yes, I can. Of course I can. I mean, uh, I lived in Brixton and we made that at... Where did we make it? Merton Park, she did. It seemed a long way away, long, long, but it wasn't really. But, but uh, I remember going to the uh, studio and, and uh, Herman Cain was an American producer and it was great fun to make the film. And Margot Johns uh, played in it, and she was a woman of a certain age, and the the chimp was was um, a man in a skin, uh, as you as you if those of you who have seen the film. But there was a little chimp, a proper little chimp that that was Conga when it was a baby, and um, one day we were there having tea, and the little chimp was there, and. Um, he saw Margot Johns and got very excited. Uh, he got a hard-on. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I, nobody knew where to, what to do, where to look, you know, this chimp with a hard-on. And uh, <laughs> apparently certain perfumes turn chimps on. Um, thankfully, I wasn't wearing any <laughs> But everybody was terribly embarrassed about it, but Margot Johns wasn't, because she was a woman of a certain age, and she was quite thrilled. <laughs> she, said, she said, a man hasn't been excited about me for a long, long time. <laughs> and then the, uh, the, the, the chimp man said, shall I take it away and look after it and diddly whatever they do, I don't go there. <laughs> But, uh, no, it was, it was a, a fabulous um, experience making Conga. And um, I remember nobody took much... Um, um, you know, he, he sat there at tea times, Conga I'm talking about, you know, th this actor in the skin. And once he'd done his scenes, nobody took much notice of him. You know, it was always Jess, and we were talking and laughing about having our tea and everything. And this man was sitting there... And I felt sorry for him one afternoon, and, and uh, I said, you OK in there, mate? And he sort of nodded like that. <laughs> and I unscrewed his head. It was like a diver's head, like a diver's suit. And I took it off and fucking steam gun. <laughs> <laughs> and there was this man in there. What was his name? Stockton something? Paul Stockton. Paul Stockton. Paul Stockton. Thank you, Simon. Paul Stockton's in there. And 
I said, do you want a cup of tea, love? He said, uh, oh, yes, I'd love a cup of tea. So I gave him a cup of tea. And like most actors, they want to talk about their careers, you know. And he said, would you like to see my scrapbook? And I said, I certainly would. Strangely enough, Conga had it in his briefcase. <laughs> <laughs> and he opened it up, and there was him playing um, all different monsters in weekly rep. He played Frankenstein. <laughs> he made a living out of playing monsters. So there he was playing Conga. Um, it's, um, it is the world's worst uh, horror film. We saw you in, your, in that pullover there, which was... Uh, well, that was the, this the is... That hangs a tail, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the world, world's worst horror film, but it has a tremendous following. It's a, it has a cult following. Um, I thought it was for me, but... <laughs> it was the fact that it was a dodgy movie. But, um, and... Um, they, I had a, a, to sing a song in the, uh, in the film, a song called This Pullover, which Kenny Everett dug up years ago and kept playing it and saying, where is Jess Conrad? And made me a, a cult figure all over again because <laughs> he kept talking about Jess Conrad and this pullover. And this, he put it on a record called the Top Ten Worst Record Show. And this LP went in the charts, number one. <laughs> And I couldn't get the old recording, so I had to re-record it. And, of course, I charged them a lot of money. <laughs> Being a shrewd cockney boy from Brixton, I said, you can have it, love, but you know. Anyway, so I re-recorded it, and it was voted the world's worst record. And uh, I sang it just uh, before um, I punched him up there. And... Um, and Herman Cohen, the producer, thought it held up the film because it was a, a slow song, and I sang, sang it to Claire Gordon looking through a window, this pullover that you gave to me just before in, the, in that scene. And uh, it was the world's worst record, and I was thinking what a silly idea it was to, to take it out of the film because the film would have been the world's worst horror film with the, with the world's worst record. <laughs> so, I mean, double whammy it, of cults. Double whammy for Jess. <laughs> So we'll talk about your, your rock and roll career a bit later, but let's talk about, as you weren't born Jess Conrad, what was your, what was your given name, Jess? No, no, but what a great name. Well, it is a good yeah. name, yeah. I mean, in my day, you couldn't be a star with a name like Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> you couldn't be, they go, what, who? Don't think so, darling. No, you had to be Rock Hudson, you know, Billy Fury, Tab mm. Hunter. Um, and... Uh, so my name was uh, Gerald James, and when I became a member of Equity, which you had to be in those days, was also an actor, a Welsh actor, called Gerald James. In fact, there was a review about him in the stage last week. So I had to change my name, and uh, I went to the Actors' Workshop, which was the... Uh, I couldn't afford to go to drama school, so I went to the Actors' Workshop, which was the method. And um, they were thinking of a name, and everybody called me Jess at school, like the cowboy, Jesse James, you know? I was always Jesse James, hey, Jesse. So my drama coach said I conjured up a vision of a venture like Joseph Conrad. What about Jess Conrad? And they all applauded because it was fantastic, like Rock Hudson, Jess Conrad. And I thought, yes, Jess Conrad. And everybody cheered and clapped. Harry H. Corbett was there, and two or three others, Shirley Amfield, and they carried me on their shoulders around the classroom with everybody clapping <laughs> I've got a name that was going to be on the marquees. And boy, was it on the marquees. 
I've, I've done so many films that, that it says Jess Conrad sings, you know. And uh, a lot of people say, well, I wish he hadn't. But anyway, <laughs> you know, I was, very, I, I was very popular at the time. I was voted English most popular singer in 1961 because I appeared in a show called Wham, which was like the X Factor. And um, are you with me? But you were an actor, first of all, as well. <laughs> you were first of all an actor, an extra, weren't you, in films? Um, oh, going back there. Yeah, we're, going uh, back, we're, going we're going back. back that, we're going that back. Far, yeah. Cockle, yeah. Cockle Shell Hero. Oh, OK, OK. Well, if we, if we do go back, you, you've got to go back to the fact that... Um, we've got to go back to the fact that... Uh, what's this, water? Yeah, I'm afraid so, yes. <laughs> I don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what fish do in water? I do. WC Phil told me, yeah. <laughs> well, they swim in it, don't they? <laughs> so it goes back to the time... I was a war baby, see? So, um, and I never went to school because they thought that if you weren't at school, you'd been killed in an air raid. Because I was there one day and they said, Smith, oh, you're not there. The fellow sitting next to me, oh, he's air raid. They put air raids, like, whisper air raid. I thought, that's it. I won't go to school anymore. They think I've been killed in an air raid. So I never went to school. That's why I couldn't read or write. Still not, not very good now. So I didn't go to school. Um, and I become sort of Huckleberry Finn. I went to up Rockwell Park. I lived in Brixton, South London. And um, uh, um, I was like Huckleberry Finn and everything. And then the school board man, about six months later, comes round to my mum and says, I'm sorry about the demise of your boy. And my mum was a South London Cockney girl. She was really camp because her name was Linda, but she used to spell it with a Y because she thought it looked posher. <laughs> <laughs> and, she, and, the, and the school board man came round and he said, I'm sorry about the demise of your boy. She said, demise? What do you mean demise? Didn't even know what the word meant. She said, well, he hasn't been to school for six months. He said, don't you sling your up. He goes to school every day. And I did. I went to school every day, but I didn't go to school. <laughs> I went with my milk money and then went up Rockwell Park and was Huckleberry Finn, then came back at four o'clock. And do you have a nice day, Jesse Boy? Oh, yeah, Jerry Boy then. Yes, Mum, I did, I did. Anyway, so during the war, <clears throat> what, what the thing was during the war, um, we, we used to go to the, uh, the theatre, uh, Bricks and Empress or the Campbell Palace, up in the gods, and watch all these great people, um, you know, Arthur Luke and Old Mother Riley and all those fabulous people. And it took us out of the, of the experience of the war, you know. Um, in, the, in the air raids, we used to get, get under, under the stairs in the cupboard or in the, in the shelter in the garden. It looks a bit like this. <laughs> <laughs> this is the bunker. It's the land of fucking shelter in my garden. <laughs> Except even then I had mirrors up. But anyway, um, so... Um, I, I, we, I never, and, and we went to the cinema a lot, of course. And then, uh, as a teenager, I went to the cinema, and um, and uh, gangsters were very glamorous in those days. You remember James Cagney and Edward G. Robinson? They were so glamorous, you know. Mm. Uh, and and they made these films where they loved their mums, which I love my mum, because my dad was in the war. So you know, your mum, your mum, and you are very close. And the gangsters always seemed to love their mums and Cagney and all those guys. And then uh, you look in the papers and then you had the Craze and the Richardson and they was always with blonde women. 
and peroxide here, that was fantastic. Peroxide here, because peroxide then was very expensive to buy. So when you saw a blonde, you knew it was thing and the, and the gangster suit. So when I left school, I wanted to be a, I was a trainee gangster, really, because <laughs> I knew nothing else. You know, I couldn't read, I couldn't write, but I wanted to be James Cagney or, or uh, you know, the Cray Brothers. I'd, see, I'd seen them. And I was a West End boy. I never went round Brixton. I was straight into the West End. And thank God I was a West End boy because um, being I could jib in every cinema in the West End. Every cinema I could get in free. The door opened. I dated the Ashra who opened the door. <laughs> when I was 12, they used to have windows where the, where the men used to um, go to the toilet and open, knock on the window. They open it and pull me across. <laughs> get the boy in. How I sound. <laughs> pull me in. So I was a real film buff, and uh, I'd never, ever met anybody to do with the film business. Never met anybody. And I go and see Caesar and Cleopatra, and I go to this, uh, this coffee bar in Little China. It's called Le Grand. It wasn't Little China then. <clears throat> a lot of uh, uh, actors and things used to be in there, uh, and um, gangsters and things, Jack Spot and all those. And um, so I'm in there, and I've just seen Caesar and Cleopatra, and I'm in there having, I think what we used to drink, drink then was a milk and a dash. Do you remember milk and a dash? So I've had my milk and a dash, and I'm sitting there, <clears throat> and a um, guy sitting opposite me, and a gold love a duck. This guy was sitting there, and I'd just seen him in the film, Caesar and Cleopatra. I'd just seen him in the film. He didn't have any dialogue. He's, he's the fourth centurion from the left, you know. <laughs> he, he had a great face, but he had, he'd been in a film. It was like God, I'd seen God. I, oh gosh, he, he's been in a movie. I, I went, God, I said, I've just seen you in a movie. He said, yes. I said, of course, I was, I was a bit pushy there, not like now, I'm a shy boy. <laughs> I went, I went how did you get into movies? He said, well, you're a good-looking boy. I said, well, there's nothing wrong with your eyesight. I <laughs> 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 was a young, good-looking boy. I uh, was, I said, was. And anyway, so he said, you've got a good wardrobe. And I said, yes. He said, right. He said, go around to see the woman in F Film Artists Association. And it's round by the stage door of the London Palladium and go round and charm her. I said, no problem, do that easy. Went round, there she was, gave her the teeth and boom, boom, boom. Scumpsy, scumpsy, and, and she said, um, can you ride a horse? I said, oh yes, I've never seen a fucking horse. <laughs> she said, uh, she said, <laughs> and then we said, can you play golf? I said, I've never seen a golf course. I so boom de boom de boom de boom de boom de boom everything everything I've got everything have you got shorts yes I've got swimsuit yes have you got this have you got that and then the killer blow was and this is the one she liked to say because this is when she used to dismiss people whether she would dismiss me or not no she said have you got a dinner jacket and I said yes she went you've got a dinner jacket I said yes and I had a dinner jacket because my father was a mason and once a year he'd take me and mum into the West End for the ladies night whatever they call it and I had a dinner jacket when I was eight, 16. So I became a film extra. The first film I made was uh, Reach for the Sky with Kenneth Moore. I, I was a squaddy and I went all the way through it uh, on quite a lot of money in those days. You know, I don't know what it was, five or seven quid a day or something. You know, it was a lot of money. 
and I used to go from Brixton in my Hillman Minx car. I used to go over the bridge, uh, past uh, Houses of Parliament, round uh, Piccadilly Circus, up the Edgware Road, up to uh, where all the studios are, in about 45 minutes. Sounds ridiculous, but I did. <laughs> and there was no traffic, and I had a car, Hillman Minx. <laughs> up I used to go. And I became a film extra, and... Um, Shall yeah. I? Uh, well, I was going to jump in because you work with you Hammer. You better, otherwise oh, no, you, no, you, you won't get we're paid. We're only here till Tuesday. You won't get paid. Um, but um, <laughs> you, you work for Hammer Films uh, for a few times as an extra in Further Up the Creek for a director of our guest. Mm. But you did a film I've been trying to find for nearly 30 years called The Ugly Duckling with Bernard Breslau and John Pertwee. You were in that, weren't you? Yeah, um, and that was... Uh, well, what happened? Well, what happened? Just quickly, then. So, um, I'm a film extra, and there were some great-looking boys as film extras, but they never moved from that position because they were secure. Um, and I wanted to be more than a film extra. And somebody came on and had a few lines, and I said, "I can do that." Mm. And they said, "You can't. You've got to be in equity, and that's a different union." So I went in. So I said, "Well, I'll do it. I don't mind what I do." And I went into repertory, Charles Denville Company in Aberystwyth and Barnsley. Went all over the place, and for a week, I got what I got in a day as a film actor. But I got my my uh, equity card. Yeah. So with my equity card, I'm now a bona fide actor, and I'm still doing sh shows in Derby and, and Night Must Fall on tour, and Toland in the Knack and all those different things. And um, and then I got um, this was after uh, d well the film uh, the yeah the rock and roll thing was also in there. Uh, I had an agent who looked after um, Richard Todd, Robert Morley, and uh, Bill Travis, yeah. lovely agent in Mount Street, Al Parker, and um, you did the boys with those. Yeah, two I did. Guys, yeah. And um, and uh, she said to me one day. Um, I, I did a play called Rockabye Barney, Play of the Week, which was on a Friday, and everybody watched Play of the Week in those days, because in those days there was, uh, there was the Film of the Week, Play of the Week, and the London Palladium. And the Play of the Week, everybody watched, and it was on a Saturday night. On a Play of the Week, uh, so they, I went for an audition, and they cast me as Rockabye Barney, who was a, a rock and roll star in this, uh, in this uh, play. And uh, um, they said to Paul Carpenter, who, who played the photographer in it, they wanted to, to make a, a, up a, a fictitious pop star and his job was to take a, a picture of all different stars, the best teeth in, the, in Hollywood, the best ears, the best hair, the best nose, and he was so lazy he just took a picture of his young brother, which was me. <laughs> and so it transfers that uh, the, the, the Barney Days goes on the stage and, and, the, and that's it. Anyway. So I played uh, a rock star in this, in this Play of the Week. And everybody in those days saw Play of the Week. And all the kids saw it and they went mad and all the newspapers wrote about me. So I went to see Jack Good, who was then uh, the Salmon Cowl of that era. He was uh, rehearsing in a, a, a church hall in Chiswick. And I walked in, there was Gene Vincent there, there was Eddie Cochran there, Joe Brown in the band. And I came in and I saw these guys, you know, and I came in and he, he said, I said, he said, uh, what do you want? I said, I, I'm Jess Conway. He said, I know you. I said, everybody knows who you are because they've all been talking about me in all the newspapers because who is Jess Conway? No, who is Barney Day? And all the kids went crazy. And I said, well, I thought perhaps I could compare one of your shows. So he said, uh, can you sing? 
I don't have a lot. Of course, I can't sing. No, no, I'm an actor. I thought I'd come here once. Or... So he said, "Well, he said, look, I, I, let's let's hang about a minute." So he hang about, and he he said, "We'll have an early day." Gene Vincent, Eddie Cochran walked out, and he gave me a broomstick, and he auditioned me. And I could move. I, I'm a great. I was a great mover because. In those days, we used to be, everybody had au pair girls, and uh, these au pair girls used to take me to Paris to win jiving competitions, because I was a good jiver. So I've, I've got this broomstick, and uh, I'm moving well, you know, and I'm singing, and he stopped it, and he said, well, Jess, he said, I have to tell you, you can't sing a note, he said. <laughs> he said, but I could, you've got teenage appeal. He said, I can make you a star by next weekend. And, um, so um, I went up to Didsbury and I, and I sang a song, a duet of Billy Fury called Chicka Chicka Honey, and I won the equivalent of the X Factor that year, uh, which was 1961 or 60, and was voted England's most popular singer. But before that, my agent rang up and said, darling, she said, you know you auditioned for the young Vic last week. She said, well, that'll be... Um, and a man called Jack Good has phoned and wants you to become... The word pop wasn't known then. She said, Pippity, and a young secretary said, Pop, oh yes, want you to become a pop star. Now, what would you like to do, darling? Um, young Vic carrying a spear with a few lines, very, very good for your acting career. Or do you want to become a pop star? And I said, well, I mean, I'm, I said, I'll become a pop star. <laughs> and that's what happened. So I was doing that, and because I was popular as a pop star, they, they, they starred me in, in, in films. In, in films. Yeah. And that's when I did The Ugly Duckling. Mm. And Hammer loved me, um, and uh, they offered me the werewolf um, in the next Hammer film, and I couldn't do it because I was doing a play up in uh, Manchester called um, um, something. Anyway, I was doing a, a play up there, a television play, Mm. And I couldn't do it, and Ollie Reed did it and became a star. So that was uh, you could have been in the Curse of the Werewolf. I, I, that's yeah, a, it was Curse of the Werewolf, yeah. and uh, that was really disappointing because I would have been a, a, a star. But you were doing that. some really good films at that time. You worked with Michael Powell, one of the finest film directors. What was he like to work with? Michael Powell was fantastic. It, it was a Cinerama film in the West End, and it had on the poster Jess Conrad sings, and the publicity was I'm up in the in, here Trafalgar Square up with with the um, put, putting up the poster. Um, um, the uh, Raymond Massey and Daniel Massey were the stars with a host of lots of other wonderful people. And Michael Powell wrote me a letter saying because it's the 20th, 20th Century Fox movie, and he wrote me a camp letter saying that. Um, Sinatra had heard I was making a film with 20th Century Fox and he's very worried about the fact that I, I was coming on his patch. And uh, he was terrible with actors. He was a bit like the English actor, uh, the English director. Michael Winner. Oh, Michael Winner. We'll talk him later. Oh, Michael Winner. Gareth Hunt went to, to, to see him about a film and uh, Michael Winner said to Gareth Hunt, I understand uh, you're a bit of a, a lush bit of a drinker. And Gareth Hunt said, yes, and I understand you're a bit of a starts with C. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he got the job. <laughs> so uh, so Michael Powell was, ter was, was terrible. I saw him, you know, if an actor drive. What are you doing? Yeah, blah, blah, blah. And he was, he was like Hitchcock. He was bad as well. And, 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 you know. um, so... But I, he, he, loved, he loved Jesse, so that was OK, because, you know, he, he thought he was in because it's Carnaby Street, and he thought he was hit because I was the boy on the block and I was the new boy. And 
in the, on the scene. But there was one time we were on Canberra Sands uh, and he had about a thousand extras and, and he's um, two or three miles away with a megaphone and we're all there and I'm all suited and booted with the buzz beyond the gun and we were supposed to be in the Gobi Desert. It was Canberra Sands, you know. In <laughs> and I'm there and, and then he said over the, got the, the word starts with F, so I can't say it. Can I? Yeah, you can say it, yes. Can I? So he said, would somebody please tell that so-called pop star to stop smiling? We are making a fucking war movie! <laughs> <laughs> Now this is a serious question, Jess. I mean, you are you're a good-looking man, right? So, so did you do you do you find that your good looks sort of were a blessing or a curse in terms of what parts you were offered in films? A curse. Okay. Why? Well, Roger and I. Roger was my my. Um, Roger Moore, my, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Roger, he's my neighbour. Went to all his parties, and um, God, I went up there one day, and he, I said to, to we go back to your thing now. Uh, I went up to her anyway. He said, um, and I say, um, um, what's the cast list? And he said, oh, David Niven and a few others. So I went, oh, great. So I said, uh, what, what time is the, you know, the half? Uh, and he said, uh, about, uh, about eight, about eight. So I went up there, and there was a big, uh, big roller outside, and uh, it was raining a bit. So the, the, my wife was with me, and um, and she didn't want me to get wet because she knows, you know, that's not good for Jess. So she had the umbrella. <laughs> she had the umbrella, and I and I and I knocked on the door, and before Roger opened the door, she put the colour blur in my eyes, so I looked, you know, fantastic. <laughs> and uh, Roger opened the door. Roger, o and I'm all suited and booted, a bit like this, overdressed, always overdressed. <laughs> and. And Roger opened the door. It was a funny old pullover, but it was Roger. And maybe I, I, I turned in the hunchback of Notre Dame. I thought, oh, my God. Anyway, he come in, dear boy. And I walked in. And there was a man sitting there. And uh, uh, Roger said, uh, uh, Jess, I'd like you to meet um, Gregory Peck. Now, I'm a boy from Brixton. Fucking Gregory Peck is there. <laughs> So I'm standing there, and he stood up, and I saw his eyebrows pass me. Then he stopped, and then, like most Americans, he put his hand out and says, "Hi, Jess. I've heard all about you." <laughs> and this arm wouldn't move. <laughs> you know, when you get really, um, well, rigor mortis sets. I mean. The saliva went from my mouth. I'm in front of Gregory Beck, and he's got his hand out to shake funny old me, the boy from Brixton's hand. And this is not moving. <laughs> anyway, uh, Roger's waiter came over because he knew me because I'm there all the time. He put a part of the card in coke in my hand, and that was great. So. I drank the Bacardi and Coke, and about three o'clock in the morning, we're all, we're all Mozart and drink, and I, and I saw Greg say to Roger, <laughs> Who was that? <laughs>
It was so funny. Anyway, what was that question? I forgot what the question was. About, about, about your good looks, because, um, you know, where did your good looks come from, Jess? Was it from your mother? No, my father. Oh, OK. Yeah, he was a plastic surgeon. <laughs> yeah, I set him up, you knock him down. That's what we do here. That's what we do here, folks. No, but no, I mean, so was it? Because you, you played the romantic leads, as you saw in Congo there. I mean, without spoilers, the person who gets this DVD, the last one, um, will see that you come to a, a pretty sticky ending. But, um, but you always played the good-looking romantic lead. Did you want to get something more meaty <coughs> under your belt, as it were? The t t thing about me me coming to a sticky head in Conga, mm. there was a version where Conga took me up... Um, what? Not the Empire State oh. Building. <laughs> took, <laughs> took, me up, took me up Big Ben, which, oh, okay. which was cut from the film after it opened at Victoria. And I, I went to Victoria and I said to my wife, um, you know, I'm not only a pop star, I said I'm a film star, and I, and I took her to see the... I should have known, because when films weren't that great, they opened in Victoria, not the West End. <laughs> and, and I went in, in to see the film, and um, I was incognito, I had the Anna Ladd Mac on, because I didn't want people to see me. And I'm sitting there, and, and the film used to finish with, with Conga taking me up Big Ben, mm -hmm. and he's taking me up in his fist, going, ah! And ev I had no idea men hated me so much. <laughs> Every man in the audience said, Bite his fucking head off! <laughs> what have I done? Why me? I mean, I'm an actor. Anyway, I didn't know what to do. I, I had to creep out because they, I think they would have torn me to pieces. <laughs> and it really frightened me, the fact... So, I'm with Roger, and he said, um, Terrible being like us, isn't it, dear boy? <laughs> I said, what do you mean? He said, you know, we're good-looking bastards. Because <laughs> you like that drink. Okay. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, he said, uh, nobody loves us, do they? Hmm. I said, well, I said, well it's, it's a bit difficult. Oh, I said, yeah. men hate us, you know. Hate us. They hate us. Women, you have to flirt with them, otherwise they think you're big-headed and upstaging and you have to be very difficult. So his view was that it isn't all good to be a good-looking fella, but I'd rather be Jess than... Um, than um, a chimpanzee. Than a chimpanzee, yeah. yes. <laughs> yes, than a chimpanzee. Talking um, about Roger Moore, you, you were in the frame at one point uh, to play 007 James Bond, weren't you? <laughs> oh, come on, you've been great. Yeah. If George Lazenby can do it, Jess, you can do it. <laughs> I... Uh, I uh, Gareth Hunt and, and myself, we were good mates. We played for the Variety Club of Great Britain golf. And we like a drink afterwards. Not water, but... Oh, no, sorry. And, uh, <clears throat> and uh, after golf one day, I said to him, you know, all big stars have blue eyes. What do you mean? I said, they have. They've all got blue eyes. You know, um, uh, Diddley Dum, uh, Paul Newman, uh, who was my mother's favourite. You know, she said... He puts his head in a bucket of ice water every day. And when I was 12, I had to put my head in a bucket of ice water. <laughs> so I knew that that's true. They did have blue eyes. All stars had blue eyes in Technicolor. You could see their wonderful blue eyes. I don't know whether they had contact lenses in America or what, but they've all had blue eyes. So I said to Gareth Hunt, I said, all stars have got blue eyes. He said, yeah, but I'm doing, and you're doing great, Jess, you know. I said, yeah, but we're not big stars. I said, let me look into it. So I did look into it, and um, um, 
contact lenses, blue contact lenses, in those days were about 150 quid each, uh, but they weren't prescribed. So you could you put them in, you you look like the man from Atlantis. You look looking great, but you can't see. You can't see anything. You know. Oh, the wife. Oh, you look wonderful, darling. Where are you? And. So, so I said to Gav, you know, it's going to cost about 300 quid, these, these two eyes. So he said, oh, well, go on then. So I said, OK. He lived in the village near me. So he, I had the right eye. <laughs> <laughs> and he had the left mix part. And whenever I had an audition, I'd say, bring over the, the left mints so we'd meet and have a coffee and they'd bring the eye over <laughs> and I'd go and, and have this audition and, you know <laughs> commercials just sit there you know so, so anyway I got the Bond audition because Jason Lovell who was at the the, the uh, casting director who was on the pink bus liked me very much and uh, so um, he, he, he made sure that, that I, I got the audition so uh, I rang Gareth and I said I, I want the left mints and he said, what, what, because we're acting, what, what, what are you auditioning for, love? And I didn't want to tell him, Bomb, because he'd be in as well. So I said, oh, some, some funny old commercial, you know, some wheat of bells. They bring it over, so they came over. So um, I went to uh, just behind the Dorchester Hotel, and uh, Jason Lovell was there, and he said, uh, OK, he said, off you go. He said, Chubby's, uh, it, was, it was my turn, I got there a little bit late um, uh, because of the traffic and stuff. So anyway, um, I, I went right upstairs. He said, don't forget, Jess. He said, uh, be, a, be a little arrogant. I said, arrogant and handsome I can do. Small and ugly, I don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so I ran up the stairs, ran up the stairs, ran up the stairs, ran, knocked on the door. Chubby Broccoli is there but with a big cigar. And he goes, come in, because he's waiting, hopefully, for the next James Bond to come in. And I was a bit out of breath, see, because I'd run up the stairs. So I went, this is my big moment. Just about to go in, I thought, fuck it, I've not put my eyes in. Because <laughs> <laughs> I can't drive there with the eyes in. I can't, I can't see them. <laughs> so, I get the eyes out. Now, can you imagine Chubby Broccoli's in there with the cigar waiting, looking at the door like that? And I put that thing in. And, 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 and I, put, I, put it, I put it in. I put it in, and, and then it fell out. <laughs> and so I, I left that there on the floor, because now I can't see. So I put the other one in, put the other one, and that's okay. And then I'm looking for this one, and then I find it on the floor, and I pick it up, and it's got a bit of carpet in it. <laughs> But I can't see that because I've got the other arm. So, 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 <laughs> now I put it in. There's a carpet, a carpet. Now I can't, now I can't see anything, and there's so my eyes think. Now, ordinary people, um, when they go into a room, they open the door like that, and then they close it, and they put them back to you, don't they? Say, oh, hello, you're right. For, you know, blah, blah, nice, nice, <laughs> have a cup. But, but actors. Uh, John Wayne's the best. When you walk in a room, you open the door and you walk in and you close it like that. And that means you never upstage yourself. You're always facing the camera. Or, in this situation, Charlie Broccoli, the man who's going to make me James Bond. 
So I walked in, My name's Conrad, Jess Conrad. <laughs> and I heard a voice say, I'm over here. <laughs> anyway, I finished, so up in the, then, I finished up in the fucking broom cupboard because I, I couldn't get out. And, uh, but uh, so I, I, I didn't do the uh, contact lenses anymore. You didn't, you didn't get Bond, but you did get the touring version of uh, Joseph and his amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, which was... Uh, a yes. huge success. Is you? Jason uh, Nelson Ward here? Yeah. Hello, Nelson, Hello. you're there. Nice to this see you. This is one of my brothers. What a great name, Nelson Ward, for, for, for an actor. Well, he was one of my brothers, um, and um, um, I, I, I had to. to Every, all the brothers always had code names because I'm terrible at remembering names, but I remember Nelson because it is a great name. I wish my name had been Nelson because <laughs> it's a great name. Um, and uh, we always had a, a football team called the Dreamcoats. We had a, a five-a-side football team. And uh, it was a bit difficult. Most of the brothers were on the pink bus, weren't they? That was yeah. me and you and Pharaoh that were, yeah. you know. And so we had this five-a-side football team and uh, we were doing a week at Brighton, I think, or two weeks at Brighton, and the first day, first day we were there, we had a game of football in the afternoon for charity, playing, you know, whatever it was, and he broke his leg. And I couldn't tell Bill Kenwright that he'd broken his leg, and he didn't want the week off, he still wanted to do it. Can you imagine all those difficult dance, dance routines? So he still played uh, one of the brothers with, with this, this leg. Now, can you imagine, it wasn't very, uh, you know, a plaster cast in ancient Egypt. <laughs> this funny brother. Thing. <laughs> but that was Nelson. But uh, yeah, I did. I did Joseph, and I brought it to the West End twice. Uh, Sadler's Wells and the Vaudeville Theatre. Um, I, I saw you in Brighton actually at the Theatre Royal when I was about. That small, yeah. About two weeks ago. No, it was about 1970. Is that why you're here? Because you've had a crush Absolutely. all that time. I've waited 40 years for this, Jess. So don't let me down, okay? Um, but um, yeah, and prior to that, you'd also done uh, Godspell as well, hadn't you? So uh, you were Jesus big... and Godspell. Yeah. That was the, that that is gone now. But at the time, I took over from David Essex and did the national tour, mm. and it was such a big show that we had to play a month in every um, every town. And in those days, they had what they call number one theatres. They don't know that it's just theatres, but, you know, it was Manchester and all the big theatres. And, and, and uh, mostly women came from all over the world to see Joseph. They, uh, they, they, you know, they wanted to see Joseph, um, but I found out quite quickly that all they wanted to do was sleep with, uh, with, with Jesus. Um, and I had two f wonderful years. <laughs> and they came from everywhere because it was such a big, big show, you know, uh, uh, Godspell, uh, Jesus as the Clown. It, and it was such a hard part to do, you know. Um, I remember I was, I'm on the, uh, the, the fence at the end. Oh God, I'm bleeding. Oh God, I'm bleeding. And I remember I was up on, on there and I had to get the last train from um, Scotland, Edinburgh. And I, I, I put my clothes, my dresser put, put my clothes down there by the crucifix thing. 
uh, on the fence. My clothes were there so that I could change quickly. There was a cab waiting for me outside and I was going to run up the aisle as they were walking, going up. So I'd worked for two, two and a half hours playing Jesus in Godspell and, and the audience adored me and they adored the show. And, but I had to get this train. This train was like, there's five minutes be, be, or I miss it. You know, I had, the taxi had to be there. I had, I had to get off the, the crucifixion and I had to get down there, get on my clothes and then, and then run up the aisle. And I ran up the aisle and as I got to the taxi, all, all they were all there, all wanted my autograph. And I had to get in the taxi. I'm going, <laughs> and I've, and then when I got to the station, and I worked for two hours for their love, you know, and then I'd spoiled it by, you know, not signing autographs and telling them, you know, let me in the taxi. And then I, I had to run down to get on the sleeper, run down this this long thing platform. <sighs> Still have my makeup on, Jesus, you know, with the red nose and the tears. I got in the funny sleeper and I looked in the mirror and the mirror was actually cracked because it was in a, in a train. And I looked and this poor sad clown who'd worked for two hours or two and a half hours to get this audience to love him. Now they hated him because I had to get this bloody taxi <laughs> to get home to my wife. And I'm looking in this thing and I thought, is it all worthwhile, Jesse? And it was a moment I'll never forget. So yes, I did do that. That's quite a profound story. Is it worth it though? Because it's hard work, isn't it? I mean, you know, doing eight. Well, shows when a I, week. then I did Joseph, and it was so easy. It was like mm. a walk in the oh, park. Yeah. Um, uh, Godspell was a really hard gig, really hard. And I had uh, um, uh, Leslie Joseph was in it, uh -huh. and uh, she was a little dumpy girl, very talented, but nobody fancied her. I think the bass player did once. Um, but, you know, nobody, nobody, you know, one, you know, she couldn't get, anyway, but she was very talented and, um, and, and now she's become a big star and she's slimmed down she's great talented. And the other girl in it was, um, uh, the girl that was also in Coronation Street. Uh, her mother was the famous puppeteer. Okay. I don't know who's it. Your showbiz no, guru. I know I am. Yes, I'm, I'm, my slip is showing. Go on. Yeah. Anyway, her and uh, uh, Judas was uh, there was a singer back back in the day in the fifties. Uh, used to sing in all, all the um, shows with um, with Danny Larue okay. uh, called Gary Miller. Okay. Yes, I am. And yeah. his son's called Pitt Miller. Uh -huh. Nice, handsome blonde boy, yeah. Yeah. and he was my Judas. And that was fantastic. Fantastic. But when you were doing Joseph, uh, there was one uh, moment when um, an unwarranted uh, appearance oh from Freddie the legendary Star. Freddie oh Starr, yeah. <laughs> who is always a force to be reckoned with, isn't he? So I'm, I, well, I'm, I'm touring every week, and this week, you know, you don't really look where you are. Well, you do know you're going the following week, but it doesn't really hit home. And we were going to Belfast, flying to Belfast, doing a week in there. And uh, every shot had had a man on the on the on the front door. Um, Theatre had a man. You couldn't get into the dress rooms. You had to, you know, it was all very diddly done. And Freddie was next door doing his show, and uh, not doing very well because Joseph was the show. Um, Joseph was the show, and um, um, I had um, I was there for a month, and uh, 
I was so such a silly boy. I used to get standby tickets to get me back to Belfast. And I'm just about to get on the plane and 50 school kids come along with a schoolmaster and march past and they say it's full. I thought, oh my God. So I phoned Bill Kenwright and said, I've missed the train. You're fucking barming, man. Put the phone down. So I got the next plane and the next plane got me there five minutes before the show went up. And as I got off, um, a taxi driver who would take me every, every, uh, every Sunday morning to get me back and, and pick me up, uh, realised that at the theatre they said, you know, I've, I've missed the plane because Bill phoned the, th the theatre to say get the understudy on, who pooped himself, you know, because they wanted Jess, you know. And uh, so um, he brought my costume in the taxi. <clears throat> And my primsels and my and, and 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 my costume, and he went up the Falls Road where you can't go. You mustn't go up there. And I said, you can't go up the Falls Road. I said, you know, there's bombs here. And he said, we're going so fast. He said, by the time the bomb goes off, we'll be past it. <laughs> <laughs> and he and he got me he got me there for the half. And uh, I couldn't put any makeup on, but I, I, I put my my costume. And as I went through the show, I put a bit of makeup on. Anyway, so Freddie Starr appears behind me um, in, in my uh, uh, bathroom one morning in the hotel. I don't know where he got in, but, you know, he's there. <laughs> Jess, it's great to see you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's there for the week next door. We finish at 9.30. If we finish at 9.30, and then I, I can go and see him because it's a late show. So he's... Uh, I, I want to come and see the show, so I can't keep doing it slow. They know the way he speaks. So I said, okay. So I tried to get him a seat, but I couldn't get him a seat. But I said, you can stand in the wings. So he said, okay, I'll stand in the wings. So he's in the wings with his uh, roadie, and I'm doing Joseph, and everything's fine. In the, in the interval, we have a cup of tea, diddly dum, scumpsy, scumpsy, everything's sweet. Goes back standing there. We come to the scene where I'm in the prison. And you remember the set of Joseph had these stairs coming down at the back. Um, and I'm going up the imaginary wall. Close every door to me. Hide all the world from me. La da da dee da da da. And you could hear a pin drop, you know, the women all looking and their daughters all looking, you know, because I had two generations. I had the new fans that were coming from school and I had their mothers that were my original fans. So for all these years, I had two generations of fans and they were transfixed and, and I'm going, and all of a sudden I hear behind me this incredible laugh. <laughs> and all of a sudden, it, it's a big spotlight. Freddie comes into what is the prison area and he's got Hitler shorts on. <laughs> the MD has stopped the show. You don't stop an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical because it goes from the beginning to the end. You don't stop. But the MD was transfixed. There was Freddie Starr dressed up as Hitler and Joseph in the middle and the whole thing had come to an end. And, and he said, I'm your, I'm your best friend. I've come to help you. <laughs> so that was that. I mean, that, that was probably the worst thing. No, we finally went, you know, and uh, I think I, 
I, I don't know, I, I, I probably went out of character and said, no, give him a big round of applause mm. or something, and we went back into the musical. Bill Kenwright phoned up the next day and gave me such a bollocking. Mm. But it was, it was nothing to do with me. I mean, Freddie was like that, and uh, he, he, uh, he was, um, oh, he was, practical jokes were, were terrible, terrible, terrible. We used to go, we used to stay in a, in digs in Leeds, mm -hmm. and um, there was a, a famous Hilda something uh, landlady. Nelly. Yeah, was it? Who said that? <laughs> Me. Oh yes. What was her name? Nelly Brandon. Yes. Well, may have been that. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it was somebody. Isn't it? <laughs> uh, are you in the same era as me? Was it? Yes. Oh. And. Um, so I don't know. Anyway, she um, she had a dog called Ingelbert that Ingelbert had given her, and she used to say, "Ingelbert gave me this dog," you know. And um, she she fell out with Freddie over him drinking too much tea or something. Anyway, they fell out, and Freddie said rang her one day and said um, um, he was in a club and would she go under the bed and bring out this case which was full of his music um, and, and put it in a taxi. And uh, she said, okay, she wouldn't. She went upstairs and got this um, attaché case out, you know, the little one, and opened it. And bugger, he had got Ingelbert the dog to poo in this. Oh. And as she, as she opened it, I mean, this, this one stood up like that, you know. Oh. And it was, a, but that's the type of guy he was. He took his, his practical jokes to right to the edge, you know. I was going to say, you spent a long time um, sending yourself up with Jim Davison. I mean, w was that was that a sort of like a Des O'Connor, Malcolm and Wise thing? Did you see that as quite a good career move in a way? Well, it started because um, when I was uh, a young guy uh, and, uh, you know, um, was the boy, mm. um, I went to see, I went to judge a, 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 um, a competition, talent competition, and... Um, in those days, you could wear fur coats, and I had a mink coat, mink, beautiful coat, fantastic, you know. Don't, don't you remember that era, that you, know, you could wear fur? And I had two wonderful-looking girls, um, which, you know, I do like the opposite sex, and I had these two, two girls with me, and, um, and um, uh, he didn't win. He should have won, but he didn't win. And I went backstage and said to him, um, I said, um, you know, that uh, you're, 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 you're very talented and one day you are going to be a big star. I'm telling you, you are going to be a big star. And he never forgot it. He's that type of guy. And then years later, he cast me in, uh, in, uh, in this uh, Cinderella. Cinderella. With an S. And then, he yeah. put, and then he put me on television in the Generation Game for 21 weeks. Every time I came on, he blew me up, you remember? And um, it, it was great. So we, we yeah, it was a, yeah, it was a great... And there were great things with it. I mean, the Booby Prize was a box set of your hit singles and that yeah, sort of yeah, thing, yeah. yeah. Which, no, no, I mean, no. must, have, must have done well for your, your sales, surely. No, well, I, I, you know, the thing is, um, I've always had my, my, my tongue in my cheek. Mm. Uh, I take my work very seriously, but I do like to have fun you know, and um, I also wanted, I think I was very influenced when I was young with these slightly outrageous acts, like um, there, was, there was a wrestler called Gorgeous George, okay. 
and he was so vain uh, and I, I like that because if you're a good-looking fellow and you send yourself up and you and you're very vain you, uh, you get you know I, I loved him for it and then Liberace was the same you know and I thought because um, I, I wasn't stupid enough to know that I wasn't a great singer but I had teenage appeal and I had good looks but I couldn't sing so particularly well um, I can sing better now because when I did Joseph you have to sing to do Joseph mm. and that was after my recording career really finished uh, but, but by that time I had naturally learned to sing because I had lessons and things so I could do up sang Joseph and and Godspell as well but anyway I wanted my my act not to be just singing because I know they weren't, weren't going to be riveted to, to, to my voice like Sinatra so uh, I, I took the uh, the mickey out of myself um, self self-deprecation that's what I do that's what I do but it's a, but it's, it's a very appealing trait I think because you know you, you can sing and you, and you are a big you know, rock and roll star, but you send yourself up, and it's it's a very likable quality. I think. Well, I enjoy doing it, and I, and I do I do like uh, I do like laughter. Mm. Um, you know, it's um, it's it's uh, it, it, I, I just you know I went just I came back from a cruise ship, and um, and I love cruise ships because the women fall for me. Mainly, mainly, of course, they're too old to stand up. <laughs> and and after after the show, I walk round the deck and they go, "There he is," you know. And I sunbathe because I look much younger with my clothes off. And um, they 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 go there he is. and they come over, you know, these these gushing sixty-year-old women, and and I have to sign things. Now they used to be. Quite small, but now they're humongous, you know. <laughs> these these huge bloomers and things, and I'm signing them, and 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 the button gussets are the worst things. You know, <laughs> no, no, I tell them, I say, no, don't do it. I said, you throw those button gussets at me, which they do. Could have my bleed now. <laughs> Those buttons under the diddly dum, they're, they're quite they're vicious, vicious. It must be difficult to get them all into thing. And they hit you, you know. And the, I mean, I remember I was uh, in, uh, 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 oh, over in Spain, and uh, they threw this button gusset, and it missed me, but it landed on my drummer's head. And it was beautifully placed, because the gussets were both sides, and it was like... <laughs> And if, if, see, if you're a drummer, you can't go back. You, you've, you've got, you've got, you can't move your hand. So he's sitting there for the whole set with this button gusset over there, all beautifully placed over his head. I mean, it was, it was. So I'm, I'm doing all that, and then I thought, <clears throat> then I thought, you know, I've had enough of this. Um, this, I'll, I'll go back to my cabin for a mirror check. So I got, I got in the lift, and a very attractive woman in the lift, and I said, and I gave her the smile, and eyebrow went up, hi. Because I thought she'd know who I was, because she'd seen the show as well. And she said, um, who are you? And I, and I don't know where it came from. I said, uh, who am I? She said, yes, who are you? I said, uh, well, I said, um, I'm the ship's gigolo. 
I said, P&O are trying it out for two weeks and I'm the gigolo for the two weeks. And as I said that, the lift door opened and two ladies came in of a certain age. One was on a Zimmer frame. And they both said in unison, oh, we did enjoy you last night. <laughs> and the original woman said, I'm in cabin 505. <laughs> Follow that. Well, look, we're, we're, we're getting near the end of the show, and I always like to throw it to the audience, and you have a lovely bunch of people out there. So, are there any Lord Rose is there. Lord Rose Someone's is shouting, there. Yes, yes. And when he dies, bar. I want his black book. <laughs> Lady of the Bar, then. Not a chance, Jess. <laughs> Hi, Jess. You look amazing. Oh, thank you. I wanted to say, you said about your fur coat. Remember a beautiful, beautiful picture of you and Diana Dawes. You were in that fur coat, and she was dressed all in white, and you looked absolutely stunning. <laughs> now, I wanted to ask you something about Diana Dawes' house. Was there a glass ceiling? Was it true that there was a glass ceiling that you all looked at when couples were downstairs in an event getting to all sorts? Is that true? This <laughs> 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 being recorded, by the way. I'll just let you know. This um, is being recorded. Yeah, indeed, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I can tell you one story. There was a disc jockey called David Jacobs. Mm. David Jacobs. He's a bit sort of... And he wanted to get into the Doors parties. And he always said to me, Jesse, take me to the Doors' parties, you know. <clears throat> and um, I always used to say, well, you know... Anyway, I was in the West End one afternoon and we had a party that night. <clears throat> and I said, David, I said, come tonight and get you in. I said, be there at eight o'clock on the dot. And I told him the address, it was the manor in, in uh, uh, Virginia, Virginia Water. So he got there, and I'm, 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 in the, I'm in the hallway with the dressing gown on. And I went, and David Jacobs, you know, was a bit clummy, wasn't he? But, oh, hello, he was a bit like, <laughs> but he wanted to see, you know, as you say, a bit of naughtiness, you know. So I said, um, I said, get your gear off quick. He said, what? I said, get your gear off quick. I said, they, they've started. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he took all his gear off. Mm -hmm. I looked naked. Oh, he's, except he had black shoes and, and uh, black socks and, and suspenders. You know? <laughs> so it, he looked a real, you know. And I went, get in there quick. And he rushed in like this. I looked naked with his funny spats on. I went, I'm here, because he was a famous disc jockey, you know? and um, all his lunch, all akimbo, and, he said, and they were all sitting there, beautifully dressed. <laughs> no, but she was a wonderful, she was a great, great woman. She, uh, she, uh, we went to Vegas together, and I remember one funny story, there was a guy on the lift, big fella, big black fella, and he said to her, Going down, madam, she said, no, unfortunately, we're just good friends. <laughs> <laughs> and you, but there are, are more stories. You, you meant, you, well, keep them for the book. No, yes. Save them for the memoirs. Yes. But you, you mentioned earlier about uh, idolising sort of gangsters and, and be, be, being a, a star, <clears throat> a variety star and pop star, you did mingle with the Craze and the Richardsons and those sort of people. Well, the Craze were always at uh, Dawes' parties. Yeah. Beautifully uh, mannered, beautifully dressed. And... I flipped my mind back to when I was you know, a kid and saw them in the newspapers, and, and there I was mixing with the craze. And then uh, <clears throat> Ronnie ran away for life, and uh, he got hold of Dawes and said that he wanted me to go to Broadmoor. And uh, Dawes rang and said to Darling, she said, Ronnie wants you to go see him in Broadmoor. 
I said, I, she said, well, you better go, you know, it's morning pray. So um, he's a big, big guy, uh, Jerry Pyle. You know Jerry Pyle? So Jerry Pyle is, he, um, says, gets in touch with me and says, uh, I'm going to take you to see Ronnie. So, I mean, I'd met him before and everything. And uh, so he said, we'd take you to Joe Allen's the night before and we'd have, we'd have uh, dinner. And uh, I took uh, a, boy, a pop singer called Troy Dante with me. Uh, Troy Dante in the Infernos. And uh, we sit in Joe Allen's and we're talking about things and talking about, you know, he said, can you look after yourself, Jesse? I said, well, yeah, I'll box for South London. Um, and uh, I said, and I, I like the idea of it because I saw um, Kirk Douglas in The Champion and that's what I wanted to be, I said. But uh, my first fight, this long, thin, bean, bean, bean pole of a boy, kept hitting me on the nose, bosh, bosh. And uh, he beat me and my, my nose, and I thought, I don't, can't have this love, you know. <laughs> anyway, he beat me, he beat me, but my mum, a Cockney girl, jumped up in the ring and got hold of her hand, how dare you hit my chest? <laughs> <laughs> and the, it was difficult to get her out of the ring because she was boom, boom, anyway. So, so I said, yeah, I could look after myself, you know, I boxed out of London and dumpty dump. Anyway, um, Troy got very flashed, you know, saying what he could do, you know got very flash. So Jerry Powell said, so you think you're a bit of, because we'd had a drink, you know, Joe Allen's 12 o'clock at night. He said, so you uh, think you're a tough guy, do you? He said, well, you know, I can uh, look after myself. Yeah. So he said, Jerry Powell said, can you do this, son? And he got his wine glass and he bit it like that. Chewed it and swallowed it. He said, yeah, son, you're a tough guy, now you do it. So he couldn't bottle it, you know, so he's got... <laughs> Troy's got... <clears throat> blood... <laughs> anyway, so he picks me up the next day and we go to Broadmoor and... Uh, Ronnie's got a room like this, all to himself, because he's got a bit of power there. And uh, I went in and uh, it was a bit shocking because he, he, by this time he's, you know, a little old man. Yeah. And... Uh, because he's doing life, he was speaking very slowly. Hello, Jess. Hello, Ronnie. You're looking good, Jess. And it was very slow. Would you like tea? Yes, Ronnie. Would you like sugar? And so it's very slow, everything, because he's, he's doing life, you know. He, he's, he's, he doesn't have to hurry for anybody. <laughs> <laughs> so. He brings the waiter over, and, you know, it's like, like a page of dialogue. My guest will have tea, sugar, and it was uh, anyway. So now we go far. So he goes, uh, "You're looking great, Jess." I said, "You're not looking so bad yourself, Ron." He's, he said, uh, "He said, um, I said, uh, he said, I used, to, uh, you're run, you, you run a lot." I said, "Yes, I do, I do run, I do have a good run." I said, "I run every morning." He said, "I even run on Sundays, you know, before I play charity football." And he said, "I run as well." And I looked out the window with bars, and I could see this green field, and then there was a wall. And I said to Ronnie, "What? Round that field?" He went, "No, round this room." <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> what a faux pas! You know, he runs round the room. Yeah. Anyway, 
cut a long story short, he said, the reason I'm, I, I, I want you here, Jess, he said, I want you to come in and do a show for me. And I thought, do a show in this, I mean, all the men are like that, you know. <laughs> My show then was for women, you know. I, I had the white cat suit on with the Gary Glitter boots and the big medallion <laughs> and the three-piece suite, you know. It was, all, <laughs> it, was all, it was all like that, you know, and not for men at all. <laughs> well, not those. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I said to the band, they were getting then £25 a week. Um, and I said, uh, so, so I said, uh, we, we're going to, going to Broadmoor to do a show, because uh, it's before backing tapes, you had to take your whole band there. So, and I said, I can give you a tenner, tenner a man. Oh, that's great. I didn't know how much I was getting, but what, what, what actually, Ronnie said, he leaned over to me, and that lovely little face, he said, money's no object, son. <laughs> I thought, well, I'm going to die here, but, you know, with men, but, you know, if I'm going to get paid, and I had no idea. I couldn't ask him how much, because, I mean, he's, you know, you don't do that either, you know. I mean, I'd do anything for him. I loved the man, I loved, you know, they, they, uh, they you know, I mixed with gangsters before I came into show business, and they 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 have great morals. You know, they never disrespect their wives. You're beautifully behaved when when their wives are there. You you never try and nick a girlfriend. You know, they have great morals, and and I got a lot of time for it. And but I knew I was wrong for this gig, so we go to the we go to Broadmoor. I'm in number one cell, obviously. The band have number two, and 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 and. They introduced me, and out I go, diddly dum, scumsy scumsy. I, I haven't got another costume. I've got all this gear that, that the women love, and I go, deep down in Louisiana, down in New Orleans, way up in the hills among the evergreens. I'm doing Johnny Bill. I go, double 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 da da, yeah 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 yeah, Bosh. and then they go, all the girls scream, you know, but the men. Oh, no, no, nothing, nothing. Except Ronnie went bomb. He went, yeah! <laughs> and they all went, yeah! <laughs> so, every number was the same. And then, anyway, I finished up getting a standing ovation. And uh, Jay said, went back, Jay said, that went well. And I said, yeah, yeah. Anyway, sack full, of, actually in a sack, Jerry bought it round and it was uh, uh, two grand, which was a lot of money in those days. So, in redis, of course. So that was running. And then he wrote to me. Yeah. Wrote to me. And I've still got the letter. I've still got that letter. Um, I've got the letter, that letter and a letter from Michael Powell telling me that Sinatra was worried about me. I've kept a few letters in my lifetime, but I had to keep Ronnie's because, a bit like me, couldn't read uh, or write, I don't think very well, because the, the, the handwriting was very scribbly. But he thanked me for coming and, he, and uh, I didn't read the letter until years later, strangely enough, I didn't read it. And it said, please ring me, and he had his, his, his number there. And I didn't, and, and then we lost him. But uh, it was a great experience. Uh, talking about two grand, we got Jess's free for this show today. Yeah. <laughs> I know what I've got, double Gornish. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk, we'll talk to your people. My people will talk to your people. Yeah. Have we got any more questions from yes, the audience? Yes, yeah, yes. Okay. Uh, we've been friends for 
for many years, and so we have no secrets between us. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, it depends where you're going. I have to say, <laughs> this is this is this is Lord Rose, who took the showbiz football team uh, over to uh, Mallorca, where he sometimes lives, and he's been a great friend. He's helped me out of a few uh, dodgy situations, but yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to answer that. Something I said about Jess on his birthday. That my philosophy is in life that you have five friends, five true friends, and, and he's he's one of the five. But I'm not going to make you cry now. Yeah. What I'm getting at is you mentioned Sin, S-I-N, Cinderella, right? And that was at the Cambridge Theatre. And of course, Janine and I went along there several years ago when you were there. We had a chat with Laurie Manfield and Jim Davidson. What I'm getting at, for the purpose of everybody here, do you want to mention the part you were playing, the big part that you had in that production? No? Is it what, not you were playing Prince played, Charming, weren't uh, you? Prince Charming. Yeah. So, no, you weren't. You were Baron Hardon. No, I wasn't. That was Charlie Drake. Charlie Drake. That was Charlie Drake. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, well, when they bring it back, you could play Baron Hardon. I, uh, uh, Charlie Drake, I was, I was so in awe of him uh, in rehearsals because he, he, his timing was... I don't know how many of you saw. I mean, it was a blue production, but Jim... Uh, dressed it well, he directed it well. It was the story of uh, Cinderella, albeit blue, uh, and there were some great performances in it. And Charlie Drake was so magical to work with. Um, yes, he uh, never, never, he never went on um, sober. Ne never, ever. <laughs> a bit like me, I've, I've never been known to pass a mirror without having a mirror check. <laughs> Um, uh, I mean, I'm very faithful. I looked in the mirror when I was 16, and uh, I've been faithful ever since. <laughs> but um, I, um, but, but um, he, he was fantastic. And Jim said, look, you look after him, because he, he doesn't know his way ever from the dressing room onto the stage. So I used to take him, when he was ready, I used to go, because they had fixed up a little television for him, and he chain-smoked and drank all the way through, two shows a day sometime, drinking, drinking. So he was, you know, really pickled when he eventually went on. And this particular mat matinee at the Cambridge Theatre, as uh, Lord Rose says, um, it was a matinee, and I got talking to one of these, it was a new girl um, uh, thing, and, and um, anyway, I'm talking to her, uh, doing eyes and things, and uh, would I, you know, anyway. So I'm talking to her, and, and I forget to get Charlie. Right? So Charlie comes out of me, Primps, where's the Primps? And I'm talking to this girl, and he goes out this, the, the side door, into the flower market, which is there, <laughs> and he's fully, fully suited and booted, and he's going down, down, down the flower market, and I was saying, Charlie, you're, you're, you're in the, you should be over there, you should be in the theatre, you see. So Jim's like ad-libbing, because he's not come on, you know. So Charlie Drake walks, walks up into the theatre front door, down the aisle, onto the stage, um, you know, but 18 pages late. Um, anyway, they do their scene, and then he leaves the scene, and then he goes back into the, into the backstage area and gets lost again in the scenery. And he kept appearing all the way through the bloody show. Where am I? And then somebody else, Cinderella, would be halfway through a song, and he'd come back, 
But he was he was sensational to Gold work with, and, and Jim Jim loved him, and yeah. uh, and uh, the the start of his demise because the start of his demise, and it's very sad. We were in Bradford at the Lambria Theatre, and uh, uh, Jim looked after him. Jim really looked after him. The general, he's, we called him the general, because he's uh, he likes the SAS, and so he was the general, and we were like his uh, soldiers. And uh, he looked after Charlie Drake so well, he put him in a lovely flat. And one night, it was burgled. Somebody got into his, his bedroom and nick, nicked a very, his watch. And it, it really shook him up. And he never actually really recovered from that incident. Isn't it funny mm -hmm. how you know, a famous person like that can be really upset over some little, well, not a little thing. A man came into his, his bedroom and, and nicked the watch. And he was never the same after that. And he finished up in Brinsworth, which is the home uh, we run as a water rat. Mm. I was uh, king, king rat three or four years ago. And uh, I went to see him and uh, he, oh, bless him, he was all wired up. And he would tell a joke and then forget where he was and then start again. And uh, uh, it was very sad to see him. But uh, one of our greatest artists, Charlie Drake. Yeah, yeah absolutely. We're, we're getting really near the end. Can you tell us, Jess, what's next for you? What's, what's coming on next, Jess, for you? That's a good question. It is, yes, I'm going to the Salisbury for a drink. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm, me, me too. So. <laughs> no, um, next week, uh, I have to do it week by week. Last week, I was in... Um, I was in... Uh, Bradford. Bradford. <laughs> uh, yes, thank you. Is there an echo? I, uh, I, uh, I made a film with George Sanders and Buddy Hackett called The Golden Head, and a Cinerama film. And uh, this was the first Cinerama film in this country that didn't have the two cracks down. <laughs> and um, and uh, it opened in the West End and then played in the West End and uh, it disappeared. And then now they've refurbished it. It looks fantastic. So I went up to the, the big theatre there in Bradford and um, because George Sanders and Buddy Hackett are dead, so I was the only one left to talk about it. And when I spoke about George Sanders, uh, he was very, there wasn't much to report really. He was very quiet in the evening. He read books between scenes and he played the piano at night. His wife got on with my wife because they both spoke French. But he, there was, you know, he was very uh, sort of, I'm there and take the money and go. Yeah. There was no kind yeah. of banter. Buddy Hackett was just an absolute, you know, American comic who was a lunatic. But, but I was behind the Iron Curtain. It was very, very interesting. But anyway, the film was fantastic, and, uh, but it won't be released because it's the, 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 cine the Cinerama films don't get released anymore. But it was a nice experience. And next week, I'm going to um, Swansea, the Grand Theatre Swansea, to do my one-man show. I sing for an hour, and then um, I talk for an hour with clips. Um, that Simon Withington has done for me. Uh, it's very interesting, all slides of, of all the people I've met, Billy Fury, Marty Wilde, and Gene Vincent, stories about all those guys. Um, and uh, I was, I'm going back to celebrate the fact that I was there in 65 with a panto called Puss in Boots, and it was, um, it was, um, um, who's the guy with the puppet? Um, um. Keith, Keith, Keith Harris. Harris. Huh? Keith, Keith Harris. 
Ah, uh, yeah. It was Keith Harris's first job. He was a young boy. He was uh, 16, I think. Keith Harris, he had a frog then. It wasn't the thing. And uh, it, it was just a frog. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't Orville. And, uh, and we became mates. I was like, he's, I looked after him. And he said to me once, he said, uh, you know, um, I loved it. I knew he was going to be a star because he, he, he did everything. You know, anything nobody wanted to do, he would do. He was very amenable. He was really nice and lovely. And he said to me one day, he said, um, you know, we were, he wanted to be, he wanted to talk like a man to me because I was 30, looked 18, and he was, he was really a young boy. And he said that he'd never had a sexual experience. And, um, could I help him? So I went into the girls' dressing room. And in those days, we had 12 chorus girls, you know, in those days. And I said, um, right, I said, um, Keith wants to be laid, I said. And, uh, <laughs> and I said, um, you know, if I get him laid, I said I'd be very nice to the girl that lays him. <laughs> so, oh, they went, oh. <laughs> So, two or three of them put their hands up, and I picked the, uh, the best-looking one, and he got laid for the first time in his life. And, uh, and then after that, I did um, uh, uh, Jesus in God's Bell and, and Joseph, and he used to come and see me every, everywhere I went. Uh, he was a great boy. And he died just, just as you know, a few, well, about six months ago now. Um, and he was a, a lovable boy and a very talented boy. So, uh, so I'm going there to, to talk about Keith and, and to do my show. Yeah, that's next week. Yeah. And you've just done a film called Mob Handed as well. Uh, yes. A new film where yes. you play the judge. Yes, that's, that's, I've turned it down uh, three times mm. because it's, uh, it's called uh, Mob Handed. It's on Amazon. And it's Jess as you've never seen him before. <laughs> um, I play a real bad guy. And uh, I turned it down three times because, with the with the the, the way things are now, with paedophilia, mm -hmm. is it paedophilia? I didn't even uh, I I I played this paedophile, but I didn't want to. I always, when I played parts, I always found out about them, but I didn't want anything on my computer. I didn't go. I didn't do any. <laughs> I, I any research. Do, I didn't didn't do any research at all. <laughs> I didn't want any of it. Um, but I, I thought it would be good for, for my acting thing because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm so used to all, all my... The film before that was, I played Larry Parnes, didn't mm. I, in, uh, in um, Telstar. Telstar, yeah. And Nigel Harmon played me, the good-looking boy from EastEnders. I said, they're looking for somebody to play me, and my wife said, I saw somebody in EastEnders looks just like you, darling. I said... Really? <laughs> what do you mean, looks like me? Oh, no, darling. She said, no, no, he's not as good-looking as you. And he said, she's not as tall as you, but he's, he's quite nice. So I saw him, and he did look like me and uh, as a young man. <clears throat> and uh, it was weird because um, uh, Kevin Spacey was the star. Telstar was the only English record to go into the charts in America. It was the instrumental. Do you remember Telstar? You must have met Joe Meek, the, the, the guy who did it. Yeah. yeah. And um, 
And uh, that was good that you mm. came in well. I did, yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> I thought I would. Because the pub's calling, Jess. Oh, yeah. Oh. So, what was I saying? So, yeah, so, um, and, the, and then in the film, I, I knew Larry Palms very well because he was the manager of, 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 of Tommy Still, Marty Wilde, um, uh, Billy Fury, and all those guys. I knew him very well. And he wanted to manage me. But, um, I didn't want to go with it. We met in the steakhouse across the road here. The steakhouse, because that was the place to go. But he had dandruff on his collar. And that put me... Isn't it funny? I thought, ooh, you've got dandruff. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how clever you are. Not with dandruff, love, not me. <laughs> funny dandruff. And uh, so I played him. Um, and uh, he was a chain smoker. I went on the set and I said, I want... To, I mean, he was a chain smoker. I mean, he, he really was, because he had a brown finger. He was gay as well, but it had nothing to do with the brown thing. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> On that note, I think... Um... No, 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 the thing was, the, the, and I couldn't get any cigarettes, because he can't smoke on... I said, look, you know, Larry Pounds was a chain smoker. I have to, have, I have to smoke. So, um, and I thought, this is, this is amazing. You know, you, you, you must be somebody where... I was very thrilled about the fact that uh, somebody played me in a major movie. It was, it was a great thrill for me. That really was a great thrill for me. So, um, yes, so you've got to go and see it. It's called, it's on Amazon, and it's called... Um, Mob Handed. Mob Handed, thank you. That's twice you've come in. <laughs> and it's called Mob Handed. It's, it's number two in the Amazon charts. It's a really good film. And uh, there's lots of people in it, aren't there? There's the fellow from EastEnders. Leslie Grantham. Leslie Grantham. Yeah. Um, and I, never, I never met him, but I did, I did tweet him and, and said, uh, I thought he was great in the film, how was I? And he said, you always were and always will be wonderful. And I didn't even know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jess Conrad, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much for coming to see me. I do appreciate it. Uh, it's Sunday and you've come to see me and it's really wonderful. I'm very uh, humbled by it, so thank you very much. Thank, thank you for listening. This podcast was recorded live in front of an audience at the Museum of Comedy, Bloomsbury, London. Museumofcomedy.com.